Hello and welcome back to another episode of Mets Musings. It is a special landmark edition of Mets Musing. It's episode number 500. Yes, it is the 500th episode of Mets Musings and I'm very excited to bring it to you today. It's been a long road, 13 years uh, but a fun row nonetheless. And I want to thank, you know, certain people along the way as we go along. We've got some messages that uh, we're going to play. And uh, uh, it's just been a blast for, for 13 years doing this. And as I said, number 500, hard to believe. Never thought I'd get this far. But we started this show as a, a two-person show and now my co-host was barry newman who you know from our round table and uh, he's been on uh by himself a couple of times as well and uh couldn't have started or done the show without him those first 100 episodes and um missed him greatly when he left but, uh, you know, he's still with us, so that's the best part about it. And Barry's got a little message that he uh, sent, so let's take a listen to that. Hey, Gary, it's Barry, a former co-host of the first 100 or so episodes of Mets Music and still an occasional contributor on Roundtables, congratulating you on 500 episodes of Mets Music. It's a tremendous achievement, and you should be very proud. Here's to 500 more Mets Musing podcasts and joining you on at least a few of those, especially this coming season when the prospects for a great 2022 Mets season are bright. For now, anyway, all there is to say is keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And thank you, Barry, for those kind words. And as I say, there wouldn't be a Mets Musings with, uh, without Barry and... Uh, uh, the first hundred episodes were a blast to do, and uh, I, I, you know, had to make a decision when he he left, and I decided to keep it going. And I'm certainly glad that he did. He kept me off the streets at night, and and here we are now at 500. But again, it wouldn't have been a 500 without a one, and without Barry. So Barry. Uh, I'm always grateful uh, for your friendship and for your uh, uh, knowledge of the game of baseball and especially Mets history. This guy's forgotten more stuff than, man, than most people are, are remembering about the game and about the Mets. So uh, thank you so much. We've also got uh, a little message here from... Uh, well, you know, these boys, the other parts of the round table, the uh, Looney Tunes at Baseball and Barbecue, and I say that Looney Tunes affectionately because these are two great guys as well who have uh, really uh, kept me inspired uh, by uh, giving them a hand once in a while and They've, they've given me some inspirations at times to keep going. So uh, let's hear from, uh, uh, well, they can introduce themselves to you. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Leonard. That's Jeff. We are baseball and barbecue, and we're we're we are looking forward to episode 175. Yes. It is coming out soon. Yes, Tom Hannon, Chad and, Humphreys. Right. How soon is it coming out, Jeff? It'll be dropping this Saturday, March That's right. the fourth. Yeah. So, guys, it's. A good one. And for all you baseball fans that have an opinion on the pitch clock this year, so do we. And we will share that with you as well. And we would like to thank or thank, congratulate and thank our fellow podcasting buddy, our friend, Gary on episode number five hundred. 500? 500? 500 episodes. Wow. Yes. Of Mets Musings. Congratulations, Gary. That's an accomplishment. And we talk about that a little bit, too. So we hope everybody will tune in to Baseball and BBQ, where the BBQ stands for Jeff. Barbecue. Hope everybody tunes in. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, two of the best guys you ever want to meet. And and by the way, they do do a terrific podcast. And as I say uh, all the time, the only problem with their podcast is it always makes me hungry at the end. So, uh, But go listen to them as well. And I can't wait to hear what they have to say about Mets Musings. And I've been on that show a number of times with them. Again, they do some great interviews and uh, they're just terrific guys. So go check them out. Well, uh, as far as Mets news goes, we have uh, spring training started and the Mets uh, are in full swing, if you will. We're seeing a lot less of a couple of players, and that is uh, not because of the World Baseball Classic, but they decided to slim down a little bit. And the three most noticeable, Pete Alonzo, Tyler McGill, and Daniel Vogelbach. Daniel Vogelbach, you know, he's a big guy, and he's dropped about 20 to 25 pounds, and uh, we'll see how it affects his power, if at all. Same thing with Pete Alonzo. But uh, these guys wanted to come in and uh, be ready to go. And, uh, la you know, now that they had a taste of a pennant race, and uh, let's face it, it's, it's a tiring thing. They were pretty exhausted by the end of the year. Now at least they had an idea, and now they know how to handle it and figured that with the, a little less LBSs, uh, it would help them endure the long season. So um, they took off some weight, and uh, we'll see how it works out for them. Hopefully they won't lose any power, and uh, usually you substitute power for, uh, you know, muscle. You, you lose the weight, but you put on some more muscle, and you get a little bit stronger. So um, there's that. 
So we'll see how it all works out for those guys. But that's the main thing. Uh, Brett Batty continues to hit. Uh, Ronnie Mauricio continues to hit home runs and has probably been so far, I guess you'd have to say, one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive player in spring training camp. And he's really vying for a position. The question is, where do you play him? Uh, Lindor is going to be your shortstop. McNeil's going to be your second baseman. My guess is he goes to Syracuse. Uh, Mauricio does. And, uh, you know, play him in the outfield. I mean, you're going to need a fourth outfield. Canha's uh, contract is up at the end of the year. You're going to need an outfield the next year. You know, why not let this kid learn how to play the outfield, especially center field? Uh, he could be your center fielder of the future. I know Nimmo signed for the next, what, nine years or so, but Nimmo can move to a corner slot and have uh, Mauricio in center field. And, boy, wouldn't that be a good outfielder? There'd be some speed there, boy. Uh, and power with Mauricio. The kid can hit. He's strong. He's a big kid, uh, probably too big for shortstop. They knew he was going to have to move, but, you know, you got Batty and Vientos and Escobar playing third base, uh, vying for that. You got McNeil at uh, second base, and he can play left field. So, and then when McNeil plays left field, you've got, um, and excuse me, McNeil can also play right field, uh, but you have Guillaume and or Escobar to play second base. So your utility roles are taken more or less, and uh, but the kid can hit. So what do you do? You know, this kid has surprised everybody. He had a decent year double-A, but they're still a little concerned about him, his, his pitch selection, and understandably, he's 21 years old. Uh, so he's got to work a little bit on that. But, man, when he connects, the ball just has a different sound off the bat. And it goes. I mean, he has hit some bombs so far in spring training. And uh, it's been very impressive. He's made the plays at shortstop uh, with the glove, too, as well. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no denying this kid. This kid's ready to go, I think. And... Uh, he wants to prove something. As I started to say, he had a pretty good year last year in in uh, the minors, but uh, went to the Dominion League and uh, really dominated there over the winter ball season. Dominated completely MVP of the league. I mean, he was just fantastic, and he's continued it into this spring. So he, he is sending a message to the Mets that, that he is a force to be reckoned with and somebody to watch. Now, again, uh, McNeil's here for uh, six years or, or whatever it is. Nimmo is signed. Uh, Batty is your prospect at third base. You know, and, and look, he's been hitting as well, too. He's been very impressive uh, in spring training so far. So we cannot count him out as well. But... We've got to find a place for Maurizio. Don't think about trading him. Save him. That bat is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, outfield would be would be a cool place for him to go to. 
So maybe that's what they'll do. They play him some reps at the in the outfield at the AAA, and he gets some more time under his belt. Um, Francisco Alvarez has been kind of quiet so far with him in uh, in as far as spring training goes. So um, I, I think he'll definitely start the year in Syracuse. I think they want him to get better with the coach catching position and learn how to be a better catcher. And uh, no better way to do that than to do that at the minor leagues. And, you know, he'll get it. He'll get a taste of everything. He'll keep learning. He'll keep. And he's another guy. He's 20, 21 years old. So he's got a little bit of time and, a, you know, a long career ahead of him. So uh, he's got a tremendous bat as well. So we shall see yeah, how that's going to shake out. But we're very early in spring training. And as I say every year, pay no attention to the record. I think the Mets are three and three now in the Grapefruit League. Don't don't paint it. They're doing stuff. They're trying to see um, what works, what what pitches do they have, and and there's a little bit of a rush this year because of the World Baseball Classic. But pay no attention to the record. There's going to be a lot of kids playing for the Mets in the next couple of weeks because. Once the guys leave for the baseball classic, you're going to be left with a lot of uh, the the minor leaguers and some of them are top prospects and some of them are looking down the road. We're probably going to see some uh, a lot of Kevin Parada, although I don't I don't know if any of the Mets cat current catching staff is going to be going to uh, the, the WDBC, but. If not, we'll probably see a lot of Kevin Parada. We're going to see probably some of the younger pitches, maybe uh, Tidwell. Uh, Hamill is going to the uh, WBC with the Puerto Rican team. Um, uh, some of the other guys we may see. And uh, So who's looked good so far? Uh, Joey Lucchese's looked good. Um, can't think of his name. John Curtis has looked uh, very good so far. Scherzer, Scherzer uh, Verlander is going to make his debut as well as Senga. So we'll have to see how they do. Quintana got hit up a little bit, but again, it was the first. He he's trying things, folks. Don't worry about it. It's his first outing. He's trying to see what he's got, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, you know, maybe he's trying to pitch it outside more. Maybe he's trying to pitch in the inside more. Maybe he just learned a new changeup or something. Who knows? It'll all lay itself out as we go along. So don't worry about spring training. And I've gone on and on, and I've got a terrific guest uh, that we recorded a couple of days ago. Uh, he's an, an old friend of the show and he's back uh, writing again for the Mets so let's let us take a quick break and come back with my very special guest on episode number 500 uh, of Mets Musing Baseball and BBQ your place for interesting baseball talk opinions and history Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. 
Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. With us, we'll help you get a PhD in life through baseball. With BaseballTalkRadio.com, you'll hear the rest of the excellent universe of baseball podcasts. Hello, baseball fans. You're listening to Baseball Talk Radio, the home of great baseball talk shows. At BaseballTalkRadio.com, you're going to find great shows like this one with the great Gary Mack and the Mets Musings Podcast. And now back to the show. Welcome back, and I am joined this week by a voice that's not been on the airwaves for a few years now, but he's back writing about the Mets, and he is Matt Musico, and he is with Elite Sports New York, and Matt, welcome back to Mets Musings. Thanks, Gary. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be back. I appreciate the invite. Boy, it was a, a long time ago, and... Uh, I don't. Who were you writing for then? Was it uh, Rising Apple or somebody? I think it was Rising Apple. A little bit of Metsmerized as well, too. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, it's been. It feels like another lifetime at this point. The last time we spoke, <laughs> I had I had no kids and hadn't bought a house yet. So there I am with two right, kids in the right. house. So things have changed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and and I was working then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely another world. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, Matt, so you landed with uh, Elite Sports uh, New York, and you're uh, the uh, editor there, one of the editors and a writer, and how are you enjoying uh, this position now that you're back, uh, I think, doing something that you always loved? Yeah, definitely. Uh, It's been nice to get back into sports writing full-time and really focusing on New York. Uh, I mean, when I ended up, this job ended up working out, I mean, I really sat back and thought, well, if there was ever a perfect fit for a full-time job or for, for what I want to do during the day, other than not working, <laughs> this is, this is like as good of a fit as I could find they wanted someone who could focus a little bit more on the Mets. Um, and I've always loved sports, always loved baseball. New York is a baseball town. So like everywhere, mm-hmm. every other stop I've had. It seems as if kind of baseball has been a little bit more on the periphery, but you know, baseball is front and center with Elite Sports New York. So, um, really plays into my strengths. And I've been there for about back for about six months or so now, and it's been a lot of fun, especially you know in, in today's world with Steve Cohen's Mets. Uh, it's a uh, it's a lot more <laughs> fun to to follow the Mets and and chronicle their every move and things like that for sure. Well, uh, you must have had a sore hand this this off season with all the Mets moves that they made, but um, not a, you know they had a great busy off season, but not a lot of new faces. I mean, they had a lot of free agents this year. Uh, they lost to Grom, of course. How do you feel uh, about the off season and the moves that the Mets made? Well, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, when you look at the large quantity of free agents that they had at the start of the off season, they weren't going to be rebuilding in any, any way, shape or form. So you knew they were going to reload. And you know, a lot of, I feel like the biggest narrative out there is that, well, they spent all this money and they signed all these free agents. They signed like 10 guys to major league contracts, which is, I think tied a franchise record and they didn't get any better. And it's like, all right, well, 
A, I mean, you can't really get much better than a 101 win team. Obviously, most people are thinking about, all right, well, they need to go a little bit further in the playoffs, like that kind of better. Yes, that makes sense. Um, but also at the same time, it's like, well, what did you expect them to do? Their one big call on the position player side uh, from a departure standpoint would have been Brandon Nemo. There was really nobody else like him in the open market. Um, trading would have been kind of difficult uh, based off of the prices for certain players and the kind of the thin aspect of the Mets farm system right now. So yeah, did they maybe overpay a little bit? Yeah, but I felt like they were okay with overpaying at any point in time for Nimmo because of what he's able to provide. Nobody else in the free agent market was able to provide that as well too. So you think about the alternatives if they, if Nimmo did not come back, okay, you take a flyer on Cody Bellinger or take a flyer on somebody else. And it's like, yeah, like you could strike gold, but at least you know what you get with Nimmo as long as he stays right. healthy. And the same thing with Edwin Diaz. So, all right, he's the best closer on the market. What did you expect them to do? Go find somebody else and try and just hope and pray that they're, you know, somewhat as good as Diaz was. That's like that's like the Wilpon ideology. It's like let's go take a chance on somebody else that's a lot cheaper and see and kind of hype them up instead. Um, and their pitching staff. I mean, for the most part, outside of the DH situation, the, the position player side of the house was pretty much set and there was a lot said about their offense over the second half of the year. Yes, it was a little inconsistent. It was still a overall a very productive group. It was their pitching staff was pretty much gutted from free agency. I mean, I think at the start of free agency, it was just um, the only guys guaranteed back were Max Scherzer and Drew Smith for, with significant big league experience. So, I mean, and there's Carrasco. a lot of, a lot of, and Carrasco. Yeah. Correct. So like, there's a lot of things that had a lot of holes that had to be filled there. So yes, I think they got better. You know, when you think of bringing in someone like Justin Verlander, he probably won't have a 175 ERA again this year, but he'll probably start 25, 30 games, which is what they did not have with DeGrom last year. So that right there is an upgrade. And you think about Quintana and Senga, like those could also be upgrades, even with Senga being the a little bit more of an unknown, just based on his situation. Um, and the bullpen, I think from top to bottom, is probably better than it was last year as well, too. So, I mean... It's hard to complain when you see like all the things that they did, all the money that they spent. Like clearly, they're trying to win right now, and that was really the only option that they had based off of what the the farm system looks like at the moment. And I read an article last week that Epler had talked to his lieutenants and stuff like that before the offseason started, saying, "What should we focus on? Like, what do we have in the minor league system, and what do we what do we not have?" They have some hitters that they're excited about, like Bientos and Beatty and Alvarez and Mauricio. But they didn't really have a lot of upper upper levels pitching available. That's why they went and got all those pitchers. Yeah, I I agree, and and uh, I I also feel that I think uh, what he's trying to do, Steve Cohen, is that he's trying to bridge. He wants to win now, as you said, and I think he's trying to bridge to uh, 2025. Um, when they think some of these pitchers that are down in the lower minors, like a Tidwell and some of these other guys will, will be up and ready. Uh, you know, they were, they were looking at Matt Allen too, of course, but now he's out again. So, uh, you know, hit that poor guy, he'll be pushed back another year or so. But I think that's, you know, this bridge idea as well as, as contending and wanting to win, you know, and, Let's face it, you lose a guy like DeGrom, you know, most teams can't replace him. He goes out and gets Verlander. I mean, yeah. 
you know, as you said, it's going to be an upgrade being that he probably will stay healthy and at least pitch and uh, thing. And I think they had to sign Nimmo. I mean, Nimmo was the key. Him and Diaz were probably the two key free agents uh, this offseason for them because you needed to solidify that back end of the bullpen, which they did. Mm-hmm. And then Nimmo, they had to get somebody to, play, to keep playing center field. Uh, Marte, I don't think, was going to cut it all season. No, and no then, way. And as you said, there was nobody else out there. Uh, so I, I think those those moves were the best. And as you said, uh, how do you improve on a 101-win team? I mean, I, mean, I don't care if they win 101 games again. I mean, if they win 90 and go further in the playoffs or win the World Series, nobody's going to care if they won 90. It's yeah. like, did they get? are they going to be just the same or just as good? Probably not. They've only won 100 games four times in 60-some-odd years of their franchise. So they're probably not going to do that again. But, I mean, it's a war of attrition. They just got to get into the dance and give themselves a chance. Now, we hear different stories about DeGrom, that he was uh, distinct himself from some of the players and things. Uh, But do you think that the loss of him is going to affect this team at all? Or you think that Verland and Scherzer such personalities that they can, you know, that they can overcome that with the younger players? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I think when I think of the DeGrom Verlander situation, when when news dropped that he was leaving for Texas, the thing that I thought about was, the last time this kind of felt like it happened, which for me, at least the first thing that comes to mind is when Jose Reyes left for the Marlins after 2011, it was kind of like, you know, homegrown player just won the batting title, like all these great things. And then he left yeah. and then it was more like, okay, well, what's next? And then the Wilpons are like, here's Ruben Tejada <laughs> or like whoever was next, you know? And it was not, uh, you know, like, and that's what we were, that's what we were left with. And Mets fans were left with a really sour taste for the entire off season. Like I was sad that Jose was gone. Cause like he yeah. was, you know, like part of that, the, the exciting aspect of him coming up in whatever it was, Oh three Oh four. And you knew that like the future was right. And then you were hoping that him and Wright would be together for their entire careers there. Cause they don't have that many lifetime Mets, but they will have some yeah. more now, but not then. But then, so it felt like the same, that initial gut punch felt the same when DeGrom, right. when news drops, but then you knew the other shoe was going to drop at some point. Like, and that's the big difference. Cause like, it's not, they're not just going to sit back and be like, all right, well we have Tyler McGill and, and David Peterson. We'll just kind of put those guys in the rotations. Like, no, let's go get the AL Cy Young award winner and a future first ballot hall of famer. We'll plug him in here. I think that those kinds of moves will help overtake the, the pain and, you know, that whatever that gut punch was when, when the Grom initially left. Now, now you mentioned Peterson and Miguel and, uh, do you see them having a big part in this season? I mean, I do. And I think, uh, it, it may be a good thing for them because now, you know, they already said Peterson looked great yesterday or looked very good yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did. I think that's going to push him, you know, it's going to push those guys, What's your thoughts on the part they're going to have to play? Well, I think when we look at opening day rotation and the starting five, and when we look at it, especially the beginning of spring training, most usually everyone's healthy. And we think, okay, well, you know, like these, you know, like Peterson and McGill, they're six and seven. They're on the outside looking in. Teams will use six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 starters throughout a year. Right. And especially for a team like the Mets, more veteran rotation. You have Senga who's used to six-man rotation. 
we don't know exactly what Buck is going to do just yet with all those kinds of things. And obviously the schedule is going to be a little bit different. So uh, he'll find ways to get people rest and keep people fresh, but they're going to, I feel like they're going to be able to contribute in a starting rotation role a little bit more than we're initially thinking uh, just to keep everyone fresh and ready for the, you know, that second half, the stretch run down towards the postseason. So it may not be, you know, every five or six days, but I think they'll be, they'll definitely be a factor. And like, it's great to have that kind of legitimate depth. Like we know that they can do it, not necessarily over like the course of an entire season necessarily yet. Cause they haven't had a chance to, but right. like the talent is there, you see the growth and them being around Scherzer and Verlander and everyone else is only going to help their eventual development. Yeah. And plus they have experience. It's not like you're calling some guy up from the minors for the first time and throwing him into a pennant race or, uh, you know, major league action. These guys have been through it already. And, and yes, they've been up and down, but, and, and there's been some injuries, but, uh, at least they've, they've had a taste of it and they're not, uh, you know, totally scared rookies coming up to, to play, you know? So, uh, I, I think, uh, that'll, that'll be a good thing as well. Um, Talked a little bit about the miners. There's some prospects in camp, and some of the Mets are going to rely heavily on, or or May one and two in particular, uh, Brett Beatty, or Batty, however you say it, and uh, Francisco Alvarez. And I think the dark horse is going to be Maurizio, Ronnie Maurizio, in all of this. Hit a big home run the other day. With the World Baseball Classic, these guys are going to get a long look at mm-hmm. uh, by the Mets. Um, what do you think of these three guys? And Vientos as well. Who, who Who's going to stick? Do you think anybody's going to stick out of those four guys? When, we th- when I'm thinking about what the Mets roster will look like on opening day, and obviously yeah, that's just like a arbitrary benchmark it's huge right. the pomp and circumstance it doesn't really matter who's there because they're all <laughs> going to contribute i think at some way shape or right. form this year they're all going to be important um i think the probably the one with the best potential path is probably Beatty, um because he's i mean he it's still well today is february 28th so it's still february but the last you know this his start of spring has been pretty impressive between the inter-squad game on friday and then right. Saturday and Sunday, the first couple of Grapefruit League games, he's looked great. And I think it was, I think it's today on February 28th. I think uh, Escobar is going to take some reps in left field. because I think they said because Team Venezuela is going to, may need to use him in the outfield. But like, that's also interesting for the Mets. You know, you think about how all right. different permutations and defensive versatility and Escobar has played a bunch of different positions throughout his career anyways not outfield necessarily or not as much, but that could be interesting. And, you know, Buck is really good at mixing and matching, keeping people fresh and, you know, finding the right mix. If Beatty forces his way onto this roster, he's going to play. Like they want, they want to make it, if he's going to play, he's going to play somewhere, whether it's in the big leagues or in AAA, they want, I'm sure they want him to play every day or close to every day. And it seems like, you know, when you look at the Mets position player situation, third base is, I guess, the most quote-unquote unsettled aspect of it because it could kind of go either way. Um, And I love having Escobar because if he is close to what he was in September, he could be great as like another Luis Guillorme almost. He could Mm -hmm. be the right-handed 
version of the platoon for DH or, you know, or he could play kind of spell guys across the infield, things like that. So um, I think out of those guys, I'm sure Alvarez will do whatever he can to try and give himself an opportunity to be on the opening day roster. But I just don't think the way that the Mets have, have filled their roster with Narvaez and Nito, I don't think he's going to be there right away because they want him to catch. It's not that just that he's going to hit. We know he's going to hit at some point, but they want him to catch too. So, um, and who knows with Vientos? I feel like Vientos and Mauricio are uh, a little bit more on the outside looking in just from a numbers aspect of things, but I'm sure if Vientos hits, they could use a right-handed hitter off the bench. Or, and I think he came to camp with a bunch of different gloves. He wants to play a bunch of different positions too. So uh, it seems like the Mets' credo these last couple of years, especially with Epler in charge, is having that versatility in the field yeah. uh, with a lot of the, the players that they've acquired. So if Vientos can show that he can play a bunch of different positions, they'll probably find a spot for him too. Well, I'll tell you, I think Mauricio also is making a statement. I mean, he made a big statement in the Winter League. He dominated the Winter League. Uh, he come up. He has looked good so far uh, in spring training. I think he's a guy that everybody kind of, you know, with Lindor signing, I think they kind of counted him out, and they figured, well, they'll probably put him in the trade. But he's making quite a statement uh, had a good year last year in the minors. If I'm the match, I'm putting him in. I, I know this is going to be, you know, people going to say, oh, okay, crazy, but I'm putting him in center field and I'm going to let him play in Syracuse, let him play every day in center field, maybe move him once he gets a little accustomed to that, move him to left field and right field. And then, you know, next year, I don't, I think Canna's contract is up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Marte, I don't know. He's got another year, I think. He'll have but two more years after this year. Two years. He's and I, I think that's he's got a he have a great shot then of moving to the majors. Say next year, even uh, if he continues hitting and and he picks up the outfield, he can be a fourth outfield to start with. He's young enough that when you know. Maybe uh, he moves in for Nimmo in a couple of years, and Nimmo moves to a corner slot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just it's just something that, that that I thought. I think that's what they should do with him. He's he's not a, like a Vientos. They had him playing left field um, some last year and the year before. And you know, Vientos is not a, a glove guy. Let's face it. Let's be honest. He's a, he's a hitter, um, and. Uh, he wasn't the best out in left field, but you know, at least a guy with Maurizio, I mean, he played shortstop. He's a, he's a good shortstop. He's got a good glove. So it's not a question of his defense. And, and I don't know, what do you think moving him to a different position? Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's come up as a shortstop, you know, he's, he's got that athleticism, the versatility to be able to kind of move around a little bit. I mean, I think in the past he's even, uh, He's even said himself that he's open to moving around. I think once the Mets got Lindor a couple of years ago, that was like the first question because he was like the creme de la creme at that point at shortstop. Right. Right. But he's still, he's only what, like 21, 22. So, I mean, he's not, like you said, he's got plenty of time. So, I mean, I think if he doesn't, he's going to get in the outfield at some point. Uh, it's going to be soon, uh, especially with the way that he has developed with the bat. And like, he still needs a little bit of seasoning from like a, plate approach, like patience standpoints, you know, like getting a little bit more selective, but still, even with that, 
like you said, he looked great in the Dominican Winter League. I think wasn't he the MVP or something like that? Yeah, so, he was just tore up the whole thing. Yeah, and like you could tell, like his confidence is through the roof right now, which like he needed that kind of like the last year in the minors was good, but then the Winter League seemed like things kind of like hit up another level. Um, right. And he's looked great so far this spring. A couple of like no doubt bombs. So yeah, like that's you know that's one of those things where like you think I think it was like similar to Dom Smith, like heading into 2020. It's like, mm, like there's not really a spot for him. Then he hit like hell in 2020 and they found a spot for him. <laughs> so like, if you're going to hit, they're going to find a spot for you. Now you wrote an article about uh, Matt Scherzer embracing the technology that, that uh, has come and, and uh, maybe explain a little bit what the, the pitch com was the thing they had last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but they added a feature this year where the pitchers could call their own pitches. Well, I think um, I'm not sure exactly like how it was set up last year. It was definitely, I think there was definitely a way to, to communicate both ways, but when it first came out, Scherzer hated it. And I think he even yeah. came out and said that it should be illegal. Uh, and like, I think he didn't like it just because it took out a little bit of like the mental aspect of being a pitcher. Um, but like with anyone else, like he's found a way to adjust. I mean, like there was a picture in the article um, that Mike Mayer had tweeted out uh, that had like the pitch com device, like right on like the wrist of his glove. So he could just kind of like put it right up to his mouth probably and just say what he wanted to. I think it was Narvaez who was, who was uh, catching that day. Yeah. Um, but between that and the pitch clock, like he was already excited about the pitch clock. Like he had said back in September or October that he was looking forward to it because he liked he likes to work fast. And he was like working at light speed, <laughs> at light speed pace on Sunday when he pitched. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just a testament to him that like that's what that's what separates good players from great players. You know, like he has been around for, you know, 10 plus years. He's already on a hall of famer at some point in his retirement, whether it be first ballot or second ballot or third. Uh, but he, it could very, he could very easily just try and stick to his old, his old ways. And, but he's trying to evolve with the game itself. And he's seeing the advantages in putting the pressure on the hitters. And I think he likes pitch more now because he's, he's able to just say exactly what he wants. If he has an idea of what he, how he wants to, approach a hitter or what he wants to throw first on a certain count, he can just say, and then just start moving. So it just allows him to work even faster. So I think that's probably what he sees as the benefit. Now I do another podcast with uh, uh, a guy out of Philly, uh, Mr. Rich Baxter, who does the Phillies talk podcast. And uh, we do the baseball talk radio show, but uh, he's totally against all the rule changes. I'm still kind of on the fence. I don't like all of them. Uh, I don't, he, he hates the pitch clock and things like that. I, I hate the guy at second base for the extra inning. Mm. That to me is like the dumbest rule ever. Uh, but, uh, you know, so be it. Um, uh, how, how do you feel about bringing the technology into the game? The, a pitch clock, uh, uh, somewhere down the line, maybe a robo ump. Um, things like that, the big, the bigger bases the, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't really bother me, but, uh, uh, I'm not crazy about just, just to add another factor. I'm not crazy about the, uh, three toss overs and then, then you're done because that's, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to move the action of the game along. What, what are your thoughts on the technology and the rule changes that they're, they're using this year? 
Um, well, I think, I mean, the jury's still out, obviously. I, I mostly like them. I think the, I kind of agree with you with the, the, the throwing over to first or second or like for the pickoffs and whatnot. It takes mm-hmm. away a little bit of like the cat and mouse game that you're able to play, you know, with, with the hitter and, and, and the runner and stuff like that. But again, like you can see why like you know, people at stadiums hate it when they throw over five times. So it's like, you know, if people at the stadium hate it, then more people hate it too. So, um, I mean, I was curious to see what the pitch clock would bring over the first you know few days. And I, I watched the Mets home game on, on Saturday night to get a sense of it. And it didn't seem like it really made that much of a difference. I mean, definitely moved at a much brisker pace, which I thought was nice. Um, I think one of the benefits, and we just talked about how, Scherzer likes it because he gets to work fast, right? And I also think some hitters will probably eventually benefit from it once they get used to it because it kind of takes out the overthinking aspect of it. You know, like you're right. you know, you're standing next to the batter's box and thinking, okay, what is he going to throw next? We got to just get back in the box and just start to react. And I think, you know, speaking, I was nowhere close to being a major leaguer, but as a player myself, like I always played best when I wasn't overthinking things just reacting to the game and kind of just like seeing everything happen in front of me. I feel like that will, that will eventually benefit some hitters uh, just be able to get back in the box, focus on what's in front of them and not overthink what's going on here. So um, I liked it. I didn't necessarily notice too big of a difference. I remember reading about the pitch box getting started in the minor leagues one or two years ago, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading people saying, it took about a month for players and fans to adjust. But then uh, other than that, it ended up being just a part of the game. Like nobody really noticed it. It just kind of like kept things moving. So I feel like by the end of spring training, it's not going to be so prevalent. Hopefully we won't have the pitch clock like right behind the, the, the catcher uh, like they do it in the spring training complexes and stuff like that. Um, so I think that gives people some agita as well too. But I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. Somebody at work actually equated it to like all the new NFL rule changes and stuff. And like people are like up in arms about like you can't lower your head or lower your shoulder for a hit anymore or something like that. And then after like yeah. a month, everyone's like, well, okay, it's just it's yeah. a new rule now. Yeah. Or it's like how, you know, they you finally get used to the how Facebook looks and they update it and you're all up in arms about it. But then a month <laughs> or two later, you're okay with it because it's yeah. just the way that it looks. So I think it's going to have that kind of effect as well, too. They still have to figure out in the NFL what's a catch and what's not a catch. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never figure that out. That's one thing that will be around forever. <laughs> um, Billy Epler, I think he's doing a, a, a terrific job this year, uh, last year as well. Um, I, I think the Mets have made some nice moves that, that people don't realize. They signed uh, Lucchese last year and, and uh, uh, Curtis and neither one of them they knew neither one of them were going to pitch because of tommy john surgery and they were recovering and now they have them healthy and they they re-signed them and uh, i know some people said to me why would they sign these guys you know they had but i think they knew something they they knew what they a track record and both have looked pretty decent so far you know again it's only a a couple of games and everything but it's just a good sign that uh there's some smart leadership going there. And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think when it comes to guys coming, I think they're both coming back from Tommy John. So like you yeah. see those like two year contracts for guys coming, like going undergoing Tommy John and coming back have become more frequent in the last few years. And I think because 
it's a controlled environment for the organizations. They like to be able to mm. have the player, you know, be under contract, work with their doctors, work with their physical therapists, you know, work with them in recovery. So they kind of know the player, they know what to expect. So if they hit bumps in the road, whether it be during rehab or during that next year when they're back, there's a lot more familiarity between the player and the organization as well, too. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot of benefit to that kind of stuff. And when you think about these teams, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Like they can deal with, say, someone like even like Lucchese and Curtis. Like they both made around like a million dollars or maybe a little bit under. Like that any team can handle that, especially a Steve Cohen-led team. So like if there's really you can never have enough pitching, you can never have enough depth. There's depth and versatility within the bullpen specifically, a lot of optionable relievers and things like that. So the Mets value that kind of stuff. And I think every team values that kind of stuff and they need it. So, I mean, I think it was, it was a great move. Like it's easy to look at the moves that Epler has made for like Nimmo and Verlander and like all the flashy ones. Like, yeah, those are great moves obviously, but those are like kind of like the, of course they made those moves. Like what's good. What really makes a winner is the ones that go under the radar. Like Mm -hmm. the, uh the the one for uh like Brigham and Hernandez in the bullpen not that we don't know what the, what kind of role they're going to play this year but like those kind of under the radar moves for in the bullpen the 24th 25th 26th guy you know up to maybe 30 or 35th guy on the on the 40 man roster like those moves matter that's what that's what makes a good team into a great team and and that's yeah we have to see what what he cuz he's yet to make uh a great trade you know, I think that's fair to say, you know, the big trade. He hasn't made that. He's made a lot of signings. He made some trades over the winter that we'll have to see will pan out this year. But he hasn't made that. I, I was a little disappointed they didn't do more at the break of last year. I think they could have added another bat, perhaps. Uh, uh, but, you know, then again, we don't know what's out there. We can speculate all we want as fans. And say you should have got this guy, you should have got that guy. But uh, oh, how did that team get that guy? And you know we couldn't have given him. But maybe the guys that we had didn't match, and and that's what people don't understand all the time. But um, yeah, I think I think they're doing a great job. I think the whole front office, and that has been a little bit of a shakeup. Uh, I think the Sandy Alderson era has uh, been wiped out completely with his son and him gone. Uh, if you will, um, so uh, well, it's all Steve Cohen now. It seems, and and he's going to put his his uh, handprint on everything, and we'll wait and see uh, where it all goes. Got 101 games left. Win this, yeah. So just that one game in Atlanta, they couldn't win. Just <laughs> one stinking game. Yeah, that's how it goes. It always fascinates me with baseball. Like when I was playing, and then also now. Like you think about. <clears throat> You know, it comes to that months of a regular season, months of preseason stuff come down to that one series in Atlanta. And then it comes down to one game and like all that, all that preparation, all that marathon that we talk about comes down to just this one moment. And, you know, I think Buck said it a couple of times. Sometimes it goes your way. It's a crapshoot. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, I mean, they were certainly good enough, I think, to go further than they did, but they didn't play well. They, they right. I mean, you know, just, the two things that they were best at, I think, when you look at the totality of their season last year was their starting pitching and their offense. Those two things failed them in the last two weeks of the year yeah. Uh, yeah. with, you know, Scherzer didn't pitch well. Uh, Bassett didn't pitch well. And, well, he didn't pitch 
the way we were hoping he would in the wild card series, at least. And then, I mean, I think in that game three, didn't they only get like one hit? You can't win if you only get one hit or something like yeah. that. So, I mean, it's just it's that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes with baseball. It's 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 not any less frustrating, that's for sure. Yeah, then you think you know that that April game in Washington that they you know <laughs> or Miami that they lost that they should have won and that would have been the difference. But you know you can't beat a dead horse about it, and, and uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, Matt. Our time is running out, I see. So uh, tell us a little bit more about Elite Sports, where we can find it, and all of that. And thanks again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Um, well, Elite Sports in New York, uh, it is just a site dedicated to New York area sports. Uh, we hit on a little bit of everything. Uh, our main focuses are the Mets and the Yankees and the Jets and the Giants. And then we will uh, dabble a little bit in Knicks and Nets and also some hockey. But the the first four, the you know baseball and football are big ones that we focus on. Um and yeah, we just try and bring interesting things to the table for people. You know, like what are New York fans talking about? What are New York fans asking about? Um, what are some interesting trends or funny things that have happened? You know, like um, uh, one thing that happened over the weekend was was Keith mispronouncing Jazz Chisholm's name, which was hilarious uh, back in midseason form. You know, just like things like that. We also do some a little bit of focus on sports media as well, too. New York Sports Talk Radio uh, and stuff like that. You know, keeping a track of Mike Francesa and Michael Kay and Craig Carton and people like that, too. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we try and make sure that we bring something interesting or something that has a unique take. Uh, to breaking news. We don't just break news for the sake of breaking news. We try and you know right. put our own spin on it as well, too. Um, but you can find us at EliteSportsNY.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Musico8. Okay, and great. Uh, it's a great site, and, and you can keep up with all the information by going there, so go check it out. And Matt, uh, again, thank you, and this is a milestone episode for me. This is oh. my 500th episode. Oh, smokes. You didn't Evening. tell me that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get you nervous. <laughs> well, congrats. I'm honored to be a part of the milestone. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, uh, and we'll keep in touch during the season, and, and, and I'll have you on again. Cool. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Okay, and I'll be back right after this. back and uh you know i'm not gonna keep you long uh this week i just want to thank uh, a bunch of people uh, my wife who's been supportive uh, of the show the whole time my daughter uh, 
all my relatives that have uh, uh, fans and supported the show. And, uh, of course, again, uh, Barry and his friendship and his continuous knowledge of Mets baseball and the boys from uh, uh, baseball and barbecue, Len and Jeff, for their friendship and uh, uh, inspiration. And uh, my good buddy, Rich Baxter, who has been terrific? Uh, he uh, he runs the Baseball Talk Radio Network, and uh, probably the first network that Mets Musings went on. And uh, we also do a podcast together called the Baseball Talk Radio Show, and uh, that's on every Sunday. Uh, Rich has been a great fan. He does a terrific podcast as well called Phillies Talk. And we have him on whenever the Mets are playing the Phillies. And uh, he gives great insight and great analysis. And, and it's just been a, a great friend and uh, contributor. So uh, thanks, Rich. And, and all the great guests I had from the authors, David Krell, John Shea, Eric Sherman, uh, Brett Topel, Greg Prince. Um, if I forget anybody, I do apologize. And uh, uh, the former players that 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 have been on uh, Art Shamsky and Ed Hearn and Craig Swan and Ron Swoboda and Ron Darling and uh, Rod Gaspar and uh, Barry Lyons and um, and um, Skip Lockwood, Kevin Baez. I'm sure I'm missing a few in there. Uh, and I apologize, but thank you for your time. And um, Pete Alonzo uh, was on the show uh, a few years ago when he was in the minus. So thank you, Pete, for that. I didn't come on back again. Uh, and, uh, oh, gosh, uh, who else has been on? You know, so many people. All the bloggers and the podcasters that have been on, uh, Anthony Rivera, uh, Sam Maxwell, and uh, the Brooklyn Trolley Dodger. Um, <laughs> I can't think of them all right now, and I do apologize. I should, obviously, I'm doing this all on the cuff. Uh, did not make a list, and I probably should have, but uh, thank you all so much uh, all the, the people from out of town that have come on uh thank you for making the show what it is and uh i hope you continue to come on and we'll continue uh um oh oh uh the beat writers that we've had on tim healy and and uh, a couple of the other guys and girls uh who cover the mets on a daily basis and working on getting some of them and and uh wayne randazzo i think of it and keith rad thank you all so much for being on and uh, i hope you'll like this show and i hope you'll subscribe and uh you know hit the like on youtube and and subscribe so you always know when another edition of mets music is coming out and be right up to date and uh, so until the next time, remember to keep the faith, to stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And uh, I'm Gary Mack, and I will be back again the next time with another edition of Mets Musings.